Well, our gospel reading comes from uh, the Gospel of John today. We're going through the Gospel of John in this season of Lent. Um, and we last week we looked at how uh, Jesus healed a man born blind, and we're going to see it a tremendous miracle from Christ today again, the healing of Lazarus. And this passage is also a story that John is telling um, about this event. And so it, it lasts almost the entire chapter, but I want you to take your Bibles out with me and read John chapter 1, John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. And I want you to pay close attention to what Jesus might be calling everyone around him to. His disciples, the teachers of the law, the, the Jews that have come to, to grieve with Mary and Martha. What is Jesus maybe calling Mary, Martha, and Lazarus to in this miraculous event that's taking place? So John chapter 11, we're going to read verses 1 through 45. It's kind of a, a, a longer passage, but it is so powerful. So read with me, if you will. Take your Bibles out and read this gospel word with me this morning. John chapter 11, starting with verse 1. A certain man, Lazarus, was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This was the Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness isn't fatal. It's for the glory of God so that God's son might be glorified through it. And Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was. After two days, he said to his disciples, let's return to Judea. The disciples replied, Rabbi, the, the Jewish opposition wants to stone you there, but you want to go back? Jesus answered, aren't there 12 hours in the day? Whoever walks in the day doesn't stumble because they see the light of the world. But whoever walks in the night does stumble because the light isn't there with them. He continued, our friend Lazarus is sleeping, but I'm going in order to wake him up. The disciple said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will get well. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was just in a deep sleep, but Jesus was speaking about Lazarus's death. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you can believe. Let's go to him. Then Thomas, the one called Didymus, said to the other disciples, let us go too, so that we may die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was at least uh, two days miles journey from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come there to comfort Martha and Mary after their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. While Mary remained in the house, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus replied, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, God's son, the one who is coming into the world. 
After she said this, she went and spoke privately to her sister Mary. The teacher is here and he's calling for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to Jesus. He hadn't entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were were comforting Mary in her house, saw her get up quickly and leave, they followed her too. They assumed that she was going to the morn at Lazarus's tomb. When Mary arrived where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her were also crying, he was deeply disturbed and troubled. He asked, where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to cry. The Jews said, see how much he loved him? But some of them said, he healed the eyes of the man born blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was deeply disturbed again when he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone covered the entrance. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha said of the dead man, Lord, the smell would be awful. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? So they removed the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied and his face covered with cloth. Jesus said to them, unite him and let him go. Untie him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came with Mary and saw that Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. This is the gospel of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if you're anything like me, reading through that story, it, it, it causes me pause in some sections. Did you, did you hear how the reactions were to Jesus when he showed up and Lazarus had already died and was already buried for four days? I, I can't help but have resonated with how those people felt. Such a deep part of our faith is God, if you are a good and loving God, why does this bad thing happen? If, if you are a merciful and loving God, if you are a God of healing, why did my, my friend or my loved one get sick and die? If you are a God of resurrection, why is there still so much death in the world? If you are truly a loving God, why do bad things happen? And I feel like as we read the sections where Jesus said, I'm glad that this happened. I'm glad that this, is, this sickness occurred. I'm glad for your sakes that we didn't go when Lazarus was just sick, but we're going now that he is dead. I'm glad we've waited now. When you hear those words from Jesus, it, if you're anything like me, it may cause you pause or, or wonder at what Jesus' intention is. Here. I, I want to encourage you though that that just because we have doubts and 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 wonder about some of the things that Jesus says doesn't mean that we're in error. 
in fact, I really do like to have things um, understood. I like to read the directions to things. I like to read maps. I, I ask people for help in stores all the time because they're the experts. I'm not. I, I, need, I want to know what the experts know so that I can make an informed decision, right? Well, faith isn't like that at all. You walk in uncertainty many times. You have to take steps in faith even in the face of doubt. And it should be interesting to note here that Thomas, the one that we often call Doubting Thomas, which I've always said, I don't know why we do that. We don't call Peter denying Peter or Judas betraying Judas, but we attach doubting to Thomas for some reason. But Thomas is the only disciple in this passage that says, let's go with Jesus in order that we might die with Jesus. He's the only disciple that says that. Even in the face of his doubt, in the face of his uncertainty, he walks with Jesus in the midst of certain death, not knowing what the future holds. Thomas is the one who does that. So we are allowed then to walk with Jesus even in the midst of doubts and asking these hard questions. If you are a loving God, why do these things happen? If you are a faithful God, if you are a good God, why do bad things happen in the world? Those are faithful questions. And Jesus and wants to hear those from us and walk with us in that journey. So as we read this passage, it's important to keep those questions in mind. But I think Jesus is calling us to a big picture, wanting us to, to see beyond what we only can see right now. And he's doing that with the people in this event in John's gospel. If those of you who are parents know what this is like, if you uh, want to teach your children something, let's say food, um, you're, you want to teach them what good food uh, is and what good food there is to eat about nutrition and health. Whereas when I was a kid, I knew what good food tasted like and I knew what bad food tasted like. Bad food was green. A lot of the time, it didn't, didn't taste sweet. It tasted sour sometimes and bland and like dirt. And I didn't want to eat those things. So that was bad food. And, and, and it had all sorts of sprinkles and things on top of that. Good food tasted like sugar. That was, that was good food for me. Well, you see, uh, when you're teaching your children about what good food is and what bad food is, we can only really see with, with our, our taste buds at that time. We don't see the big picture of nutrition. We only see what good food tastes like and what bad food tastes like. But as we're teaching our kids about nutrition, we have to help them understand that good food sometimes doesn't taste that great, but it's good for you. Even though sometimes you don't think it tastes good to your mouth, it's really good for your overall body, your mind, your well-being. Ice cream may taste great right now, but it's going to leave you without energy and, and maybe add to some health deficiencies if you eat it all the time, right? You're trying to help them see the bigger picture, but when you only see that good food tastes good and bad food tastes bad, you're really limited in what you can see in front of you. It's the same thing with if you're teaching anyone anything. Um, I, I've taken my wife fly fishing twice. 
And uh, fly fishing, you can ask Kane, you can ask anyone you know who fly fishes. Fly fishing is not easy. You have to get the cast just right, otherwise your fly is not going to be presented well. You have to understand the flow of the river. You have to understand what, what bugs are hatching. And if you don't get the cast just right, you're not going to present the bug right. If you don't present the bug right, the trout are going to know it's a fake and they're not going to bite you. So you're just going to be whipping the water all day long and you're not going to know what catching a fish feels like and you'll be frustrated without any fish. I took my wife twice and both times she has been so patient and so willing to learn. And you know who was the frustrated one? Me. Why? Because I know what it looks like to cast well. I know what it looks like to hold the rod well. She's never done this before. And so I felt a temptation to get frustrated in that she wasn't a professional fly fisherman. She didn't have it all together instantly. It's like, no, that's not how you cast. I had to learn how to be a good teacher and walk with her in learning how to cast well. And she looked at me several times on that trip and she said, she said, babe, I'm like enjoying this process. I'm enjoying learning how to do this. I just need to practice over and over again and I'll get it. But aren't you, look where we are. Aren't you enjoying the river and nature and we don't have to catch fish. And inside I was like, we don't have to catch fish, what? And she was right. We. We, fishing isn't about catching fish. That's why they call it fishing, right? It's about fishing, not catching. Um, and so when you're teaching someone, and I'm sure teachers understand this well, it's, this is why those who are called to be teachers are, are so, they're superstars, because they understand that teaching someone doesn't mean expecting them to know the big picture immediately, but that you're walking with them in order that they might see the big picture with you. You, when, when you are teaching someone to see beyond what they know right now, it requires diligently walking beside them to see the big picture that they can't even imagine right now. And that's really what Jesus is wanting here. Jesus is wanting to call all the people in this, in this event, his disciples, his the, the people that were mourning and grieving Lazarus's death, he wanted to walk with them and have them see the bigger picture of God's glory, of a creation that's defined by resurrection and not by death. And so his waiting, his tarrying, his, his, um, his pursuing Lazarus four days after he died, he was hoping that the glory of God would be revealed and that through his presence as light in the world, their whole entire perspective of reality would change. You see, when they rushed to Jesus and they, they weeped and they questioned him, they said, isn't this the man that healed the man born blind last week? Couldn't he have prevented Lazarus from dying today? When they were asking those things, they were still seeing reality with death as the last word over creation. Death still had the power and the, 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 it's all in the question, if you would have just been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will not die, but live eternally. He's wanting to bring them to a bigger picture of life defined by resurrection and a life that's not defined by death. 
It's a powerful call and a difficult one, but Jesus enters into that situation of grief and mourning to help them push beyond a world that's footmarked and defined by death to a life that is defined by the power of God and the resurrection of Jesus. You see, so often, and I feel like we can fall into this as a people, what's happened in this passage is that people ask Jesus to do the easy thing, which would be come and nurture and keep Lazarus from dying. But Jesus does a difficult thing, which is reversing destruction. Jesus reversed death. He didn't do the easy thing from keeping him from dying, but he did the powerful thing of reversing death and chaos in the world. And God is still at work through Jesus Christ, reversing death and chaos today. But here is, the, here is something I want you to take note of in, in how Jesus responds to death and chaos and the state of belief where he finds these people. Do you notice that when Jesus talks to the disciples, Jesus talks to Mary and Martha, he doesn't come in and condemn them for their lack of belief. He doesn't come in and say, you are lacking in this. I'm going to show you by my power that where you were wrong. I'm going to show a discrepancy in your faith. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus shows up and he asks, he says, he invites them and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Would you believe in me? And you will see God's glory. You will see God's glory even now where you only see death. You will see life. And he doesn't condemn them for where they are in their belief. In fact, Jesus mourns with them. Jesus comes along, and the Greek word, therefore, troubled, is, is actually splachnignomai. That's the Greek word for, for troubled that's used in John here. And it means a rendering of his gut. It's causing him pain how much he's grieving with these people. And so Jesus enters into their grief and mourns with them. He doesn't condemn them for their lack of belief, but invites them into believing in him as the resurrection and the life. He doesn't minimize the seriousness of death. He doesn't discount how painful death and chaos is. He mourns with them, enters into their grief, and brings life and reverses the power of death. I think that's such a lesson for the church when we are entering into places where there's doubt. We can't condemn doubt. We only invite into deeper belief and journey with them. When we see people who are ravaged by death and chaos in their world, we take that seriously. We take death seriously. We take mourning seriously. We take grief and loss seriously because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ takes it seriously as well. Because you know what happens when we don't take death seriously? We don't understand what happened on the cross seriously. If we don't take the gravity of death seriously and the ramifications and consequences of death in the world, if we don't take that seriously, we minimize what happened on the cross and we minimize how people are suffering in the world. Jesus never, ever did that. 
Jesus calls and enters into the situation, grieves with those who are grieving, mourns with those who mourns, doesn't condemn their belief, invites them into deeper belief, doesn't minimize death, but takes death seriously and still calls life where we only see death. This is such a powerful testament of how God is wanting us to see a world defined by resurrection where resurrection will have the last word over us. Death will not. Resurrection will have the last word over our lives. Death will not. Resurrection will have the last word over our friends and our family. Death will not. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the one that will define the rest of creation. Death has lost its victory. But it doesn't mean that we don't take it seriously and how much it impacts our world still today. This world needs hope. The hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But they're not going to receive that hope if the church minimizes chaos and death and carnage in the world. That's why we're called to be blessed in our mourning with those who mourn so that we can enter into the places where they only see death and carnage, mourn with them, and invite them into a deeper hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That reversal of chaos, reversal of destruction, is still at work in the world today. I think it's so powerful and fitting that our Old Testament passage is Ezekiel speaking life to dry bones. Those dry bones were the remnant of Israel in the world. They had died. Their bones were dry. So it was not only a death of a people, but it was a death of God's promises and purposes in the world that his remnant, the people that he had chosen to display God's image in the world had perished. And where Ezekiel only saw a valley of dead, dry bones, God's Spirit led him there to bring and speak life. I think we see a lot of places in our world today where we only see death, a valley of dry bones. The Spirit of the Lord may lead us there, and we don't often see how it can be an opportunity for life to come where the Spirit may cause us to see those places in order for us to come and speak the hope of the resurrection, hope of life, grieve with those who are grieving, and continue to strive towards the hope we have in Jesus. I want to finish my sermon today with a picture of Lazarus coming out of the tomb. If you read the end of the passage, you notice that his hands are tied, okay? And he's got, he's wrapped like a mummy like they did in those days. And so he's got death, uh, death cloth all over him, all around his face. His hands are tied up by his waist and his feet are tied also. So imagine that that's you, okay? You wake up, you don't know what happened. Obviously something happened because you're in a dark cave. All of a sudden through the death cloth, you see just a little glimmer of light and you hear this stone moving. You hear someone, you probably recognize the voice of your friend, but you hear someone say, Lazarus, come out. And you get up and you can stand just fine, but like, how are you supposed to come forward, right?
Looks pretty silly, doesn't it? But in this world, it's so awkward doing that in an awkward sanctuary because no one's here and I can't hear anyone laugh. So your laughing emojis are, are appreciated. But sometimes that's how we feel in our life today, right? Where we feel so hampered and we can, we can start to have our lives be shaped and tied down by such anxiety because all we see is death in our world today. And all we can see is a little glimmer of light through our death shrouds. But Jesus is still calling us forward. And what we hope to do is to pull down and untie the death cloths around us so that we can see a little bit of glimmer of Jesus Christ and even take one leap forward when we can when Christ calls us forward. Our hope, and Jesus says, untie him. And I think that's a call uh, for the church as well, where we gather together and help untie each other from the shroud of death in the world, bringing hope to the resurrection so that we can pull the shroud and untie the death clothes from our eyes to see the one who is calling us out of death into the hope of the resurrection so that we might follow the spirit who is asking us to bring life and hope into this world. There are so many places in our own hearts and in our own lives where we still see through the shrouds of death. And Christ is calling us to see the big picture of who he is and what he has come to do in the world, to bring the glory of God in the world, so I want you to, I want you to, um, to, to take some time this week to see where your heart or your life is still maybe tied up by by death and and chaos and the fear over that. Still ask those faithful questions, God. If you are a good God, where are you? God wants to talk with you in those questions. But I want you to, to take some more steps to pull those death shrouds over from your eyes. Help someone else to understand hope this season so that we may, even though we might see a valley of dry bones before us, we will be the bold, humble people who will walk alongside those who are grieving and mourning death and be a source of hope and peace with them as we mourn with them to the hope of the resurrection we have in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us today. Lord God, I pray that as we go from this place, from our screens, Lord, you would help us to be sources of hope and encouragement in the world. Lord God, I pray that whether it's through humor or whether it's through deep conversations, whether it's through heart-wrenching, troubled spirits as Jesus felt in this passage, I pray that we will continue to walk together, that there is no question out of bounds, there is no doubt too deep, there is no, um, th there is no uh, understanding that needs to be untangled that is too tangled up for your spirit to call us to walk alongside each other. So Lord God, I pray you would help us to untether each other from the shrouds of death and chaos. Help us to walk next to each other to help see the big picture of resurrection that Christ has come to bring in the world. It is through Christ's oneness with God that Lazarus was raised from the dead. May the same oneness with Christ and our hearts 
be seen by your spirit and by each other as we walk with you in this life. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Well, just a few, uh, a few announcements before you go. You can go to the church website uh, to donate your tithes and offerings, and I encourage you to do so. We are in uncertain times, and we are feeding more people than we ever have before. Uh, just a special thanks to Diana Herzog and all of her work, her foundational work with the food pantry. She's still helping us out here. Um, Tara, by um, helping us get food to uh, needy refugee families. There, there's so much happening in the life of our church, and we, we still are relying on each other for, uh, for support. Uh, so please uh, give of your tithes and offerings online if you can do so. And also there's that option for 44 envelope, envelopes. We're still pursuing that uh, to update our children's de department uh, for when, when we gather to, again in the future. Uh, so feel free to go and give to that. Pick any number between 1 and 44 to donate to that program uh, so we can see our children's ministry flourish in the days ahead. Donations. There is a donation box, a temporary one, right by the shed in the parking lot. Uh, if you feel so led to give hygiene products, there's a list of essential needs on the Facebook page for Euclid Church. Um, if, uh, if you feel so led, donate there. Uh, send me a text message or um, uh, private message me on Facebook. I come and I bring those things into the food pantry uh, every time there's a donation. We're going to put a blessing box in the, um, in the parking lot so people can come and receive donations or leave donations uh, during this time. Uh, so if you want to be a part of that, please let us know and we'll give you directions on that. I also want to give a, a shout out of praise. Um, Wyatt Went texted me about Credence, his little boy that's been having um, uh, surgery and all those complications during this time. Uh, his mama can't, uh, he and his mom can't be together with him at the same time because of uh, the isolation that's needing to happen in the hospitals because of this virus. So they as parents are having to go back and forth uh, in quarantine. It's just been such a hard time for them. But I call the local pastor there and he's connecting with him and making sure that all their needs are met there in Salt Lake City. So I just wanted to give you that point of praise that our sister church in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, is helping with Wyatt and their family uh, with all their needs on a, on a personal basis. Um, continue to lift them up in prayer. There's also a link that we've created on our church website. If you have a prayer request, please submit them. We will be praying over those things. Um, be, uh, have your radars um, open. Uh, be aware for what we're going to do for uh, Palm Sunday and Easter. Uh, we, uh, Pastor Stacy and I are working through some details to make those days meaningful. Um, and uh, we, I just can't wait for what God has in these days ahead. Continue to pray uh, for the mission of the church in the world. Uh, these are days where the, the hope of Christ is desperately needed. Let me, let me uh, send you out with Psalm 130 today as your benediction. Receive this benediction. This is Psalm 130, a pilgrim's song. I cry out to you from the depths, Lord. My Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears pay close attention to my request for mercy. If you kept track of my sins, Lord, who could stand a chance? 
but forgiveness is with you. That's why you are honored. I hope, Lord, my whole being hopes, and I wait for God's promise. My whole being waits for my Lord, more than the night watch waits for the morning. Yes, more than the night watch waits for the morning. Israel, wait for the Lord. Church, wait for the Lord, because faithful love is with the Lord because great redemption is with our God. He is the one who will redeem the world from all its sin. May the peace of Christ be with you. Go in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be blessed, be a light to the world, grieve with those who grieve, and be a source of the hope of the resurrection in a world where other people may only see chaos and death.